Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 110. New intro music for you. Hope you enjoy it. You'll get to listen to the full uh, song at the end, as usual. My guest today is Diana Groover. Diana reached out to me a few months back. She has got a book out, came out last year, called Companions in the Darkness, Seven Saints Who Struggled with Depression and Doubt. And she said, Jonathan, I just think this might uh, be of interest to you. And and I have loved it. You'll hear uh, me brag about it on air. But I really, really enjoyed it. It's, uh, I highly recommend it. Honestly, if you have any measure of connection with depression in your own life or in the lives of others, I would highly recommend it. I'm frequently asked for books on depression or for resources for Christians struggling with depression. And this is going to be my, my go-to from now on. It covers uh, a whole bunch of great things, including some of the medicine, some of the science, but really it's rooted in stories of faithful Christians in the, from the past who also struggled with depression and with doubts about their spiritual life and about God's closeness. And with those people, we can find companionship for our own journeys. So thrilled to introduce you all today to Diana Groover. Diana, I am so excited to welcome you to the show today. Your book came to me at just such a wonderful, timely moment, and it has been a joy. I laid in bed finishing reading it this morning. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's really good to be with you today. I was on lockdown isolation because my daughter had COVID when uh, I really properly picked up your book. You know, you had gifted it to me. I want to acknowledge that. Thank you. You said, hey, I think this book might be like of interest. And not only did you send me a book, but a candle and a whole little package. And it was wonderful. But it sat on my bookshelf because, you know, okay, I don't know if you experienced this, but there's times where I'll get a book or something, and I'd be like, oh, I just don't feel like reading that right now, or it's just, it doesn't click for whatever reason. And then mysteriously through the work of life and of God, you pick it up at the exact moment that you needed it, even though it's been on your shelf gathering dust for six months. And so my daughter got COVID, we're locked down, we can't leave our property. And Jonathan Puddle did not do well with that. Mm -hmm. It was very, very bleak and very dark for me. And I picked up your book out of guilt. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, <laughs> what a great reason to pick up a book about depression. <laughs> Literally the truth. I'm just being very candid with you right now. And I loved it. From the get-go, it was just what I needed. It was so hope-filled. For me, depression has always been circumstantial. And, and, and obviously that's in some senses like an oxymoron with depression because it's often categorically uncircumstantial sadness. But all that's to say, I have, I have battled with depression seasonally for five or 10 years and it's never been chronic for me. And so let me just get that out there. My father has had clinical depression for 20 plus years. So I've had very close access to that. I see what that's like. When you defined uh, like clinic, like chronic depression, clinical depression. It was really helpful for me even to be like, oh, okay, yes, Jonathan does not suffer from that. I am in the, the category of 
more circumstantial, more seasonal. It comes and it goes. So even just that classification was so life-giving for me. But I was in one of those really dark stages. And, and I had times during that isolation where it was possibly the worst depression I've ever had. Like just agonizing, just deep, gut-wrenching pain of soul, um, the lack of sleep. And then, and then for me, flipping to the anxiety, anxiety is so bad. One day I had to go take a bath just to put myself back into my body only to an hour later be at the absolute depths and am unable to sleep. And I'm just like, sweet Jesus, help me or kill me. Either one. Um, So, but, but these, this book, the way you've written these stories, these biographical elements of these beautiful men and women of God of the past and how they suffered and how they faithfully journeyed on was such a gift to me right when I needed it. Uh, So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's so encouraging to me. You know, you write in isolation. And um, as I mentioned in the book, part of the reason for writing it came out of my own experience. But then to put it out in the world and, and hear stories of how God's using it and how it's encouraging people. That's an encouragement to me. So thanks. I would love to hear uh, more of your story. Maybe put us into the picture and uh, who you are, where you've come from. What And, and incidentally, you are a brilliant writer. Oh, like, thank you. I've just really loved your prose. So mm-hmm. bravo. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I live in Pennsylvania with my husband and toddler age daughter. Um, I write part-time and I mom the rest of the time and um, we live close to family now and um, it's a gift to be able to to share life with with them and and share our daughter with them Um, but as to my own story with depression um, it wasn't something that I would have expected myself to struggle with I think growing up I was usually pretty optimistic I had a great childhood really supportive parents um, but when I was in college, it it came. And I think the most disorienting part of that for me was that I didn't have a specific event that I could tie it to. Mm-hmm. So it felt kind of illogical, really, um, that I would just be engulfed in such a deep sense of darkness. I, my, I wasn't um, diagnosed until my senior year of college, but I, I think it started before then it wasn't as bad. And so I would always shrug it off as well. I'm in a funk, you know, I'm crying more than normal. Um, Things are a little gloomy. And then over time it would pass. Um, But then that senior year, it it got bad enough and debilitating enough that I had to face it for what it was. And um, thankfully our college had a counseling center. And so I was able to see a counselor for several months and um, was able to get on medication, which was really helpful for me. And um, it it reoccurred again uh, about a year and a half later when I was living abroad. Um, I worked at a group foster home. So being in a different situation and, and removed from my normal support network and some of the, the secondary trauma that comes with, with that work and that environment, I probably should have expected it. But I was young, I didn't know, and I didn't. Um, And so it it came again, and it was again something that I had to to wrestle through. Since then, it's not been quite as as deep as it was in those seasons. But you know, it's still a part of my story, and it's still something I know I need to be really aware of. And so 
um, in, in some hard seasons of life since then, and including the last year, I think you're not alone in, in that experience of, there's so many of us struggling um, during the season with the pandemic and the isolation that comes with it and the uncertainty that comes with it. Um, just knowing that I, I really need to keep a good finger on how am I doing? When do I need to get help? You know, what, what do I need to put into my, the rhythms of my life or the relationships in my life to make sure that I'm trying to stay in, in the best place that I possibly can? Yes. Yes. That is the nail on the head. I have, I have had some days recently where it's been like, okay, I can feel that I'm sliding and my children will get home from school in about four hours. And then I will feel this familiar feeling of entrapment and of everyone has needs and I'm not enough to meet them. Mm. So what do I need to do between now and then? You know, what do I need to eat? What exercise do I need to do? Uh, if I'm going to watch some TV, maybe it needs to be funny and not brooding sci-fi. <laughs> and, you know, uh, that level of intentionality of practices of rhythms is so real. And yet, as anyone who suffers from depression, like we know, like that's the hardest thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And even to admit, hmm, this is where I am right now. I'm crying more than I should be. You know, there, there are too many days where that's happening. There are too many days where it just takes a little bit too much energy to get out of bed, you know, or a little too much. And it's too overwhelming. Some of these normal everyday tasks are just a little too overwhelming than they should be. Um, so I think the first thing for me is acknowledging, oh, that is there. This is what I'm feeling. And, and that means that I'm, you know, feeling kind of that tug of depression. So what do I need to do to try to take care of myself? Yes. Yes. How do you, have you, have you, is there a self-compassionate piece in there for you? Because I know for me, for many years, the question of, oh, why am I feeling this way? And I would very quickly beat myself up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think part of that comes from, this is not because I'm not strong enough. It's not because I don't have enough faith or enough willpower it's not a, a personal reflection on my character um, or my ability to do life. Mm. And, and I think that's something that I've really had to learn. And, and frankly, the, the stories in this book have been helpful for me because, you know, if these giants of the faith felt these things that I'm feeling, it gives me a little bit of freedom to feel them too. And to know that, it, yeah, it doesn't mean I'm weak. It doesn't mean that that will be the end of the story. It just means it's where I am. And in order to be faithful, to care for the body that God has given me and to live faithfully in the story that he's placed me in, there are some things I need to do to make sure that I stay healthy, not just physically, but also in my mental, emotional life as well. Mm, yes. You grabbed my attention. Okay. So uh, backtrack. The book is called Companions in the Darkness, Seven Saints Who Struggled with Depression and Doubt. And so you've got these biographies of these amazing people, some of whom, you know, I, I've read loads on. I feel like I knew them inside and out. And yet all of a sudden you revealed all these aspects of folks um, like Spurgeon. You know, it's kind of, I think, pretty well known that he had a lot of dark, you know, patches in his life. But Mother Teresa, I did not know that stuff. And that was 
devastating. I read some of her quotes out to my wife and my wife was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Yeah. And so you, but you write in, in your introduction, which just tickled me. Can you imagine the audacity of basically accusing people of being a bad Christian to the brothers and sisters in this book of telling Charles Spurgeon to read his Bible more or David Brainerd to pray more or telling Mother Teresa to just choose joy? And I'm like, oh, dang. And, and then you, and you wrote, the faithfulness of their lives did not make them immune, and it will not make me immune. And, and I underlined it, and that was one of those like, Jonathan, this is not a reflection on your faithfulness. Yeah. This is not a reflection on your worth. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Charles Spurgeon. He gave this lecture to his students at one point that was preparing them, their, their pastors in training, preparing them for if or when depression showed up in their life. And his big takeaways for them, I think, are really applicable for all of us. And they were, don't think that something strange is happening to you if you have this experience. And don't think that all is over with your usefulness. Mm. And I think if we in, in a, just generally, but especially in Christian community can have that kind of attitude towards depression where we don't lead with the accusations, you know, that you mentioned in that quote about, we just need to have more faith. We just need to choose joy. We just need to read our Bibles more and it'll all go away. So if you're struggling, maybe you're just not keeping up with those things quite the way that you should be. Is there some secret sin you haven't confessed? Exactly. Yeah. But if we can approach it with a little more matter of factness, that sometimes this happens. Um, we don't need to add more guilt or more angst or more of that, you know, kind of tumultuous introspection when mm -hmm. someone's struggling with depression. And we can also have the hope that that doesn't mean that their usefulness is over. It doesn't mean that God can't use you. It doesn't mean that God isn't using you or he isn't with you. Um, it's just something some of us have to walk through. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. So why this approach? Why, what drove you, inspired you to uh, bio, biographize, bi to write biographies? How does, what is there a verb about um, to biograph? Is that the verb? I don't know. I, <laughs> now that you're asking it this way, I can't even think. <laughs> what, what, what would it be? <laughs> biographize. That sounds good. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> Why did you do it this way and, and pick these particular people? So I didn't know these stories when I was that depressed um, college student. And I wish that I had. And, um, you know, I can't help but think what my experience would have been like if I'd known them in that season. Uh, it wasn't until several years later, I was in seminary and I studied spiritual formation, but the, the program was very heavily weighted in church history. And so I started to notice some of these stories pop up. And I think in part because I had had this experience with depression, it was still fairly fresh in my mind and my memory. I noticed them and uh, I, was, I was drawn to them. It, it piqued my curiosity. And for some of them, I mean, the first two that I remember noticing are, were Luther and Spurgeon. I thought, why have I never heard this part of their story before? You know, it, it has such a gift to offer us of, of hope and just the wisdom that they have to share as someone who's walked through this. So I started looking into a couple of them a bit more. And then over time, 
just was thinking about, you know, not only for myself, I wanted to know their stories, I wanted to hear their wisdom, but there were other depressed college students like me out there that maybe I could offer them those stories you know, and the depressed moms and the depressed dads and the, the depressed grandparents and, you know, the depressed young professionals, they're all there and they need those stories too. Um, and so to be able to capture their stories in a way that offered companionship. Um, I think one of the biggest things when we're depressed is we need to know that we're not alone in that. And so if I could offer a bit of that companionship to people, not just through my story, but through people that we still look to and celebrate and hold up from history mm. who have struggled much like we have, I think that offers a great amount of hope. And it, it does, as we've been talking about it, it really starts to unravel a lot of the stigma that comes with depression um, and frees us up to just say, okay, this is where I am. How do I survive? And um, I think their stories offer us both of those things. You know, they undermine the stigma. And in addition to pursuing a lot of the important things we need to do with getting mental health, good, connected with good mental health care, um, some of the more practical day-to-day -day things. Okay, how do I survive this? How do I keep going? And we have these brothers and sisters that can share their wisdom with us. Yeah. I actually... I think I cried a few tears in the chapter on, on Luther mm. and it came home to me again, uh, just this morning reading, uh, the ML, the chapter on MLK, partly because er, when I was, when we were in lockdown and I was reading the book, you know, a month or so back, we were in a pretty difficult spot with some kind of church leadership, politic matters and, I, and the accusations that were leveled against Luther, why are you being so divisive? No good will come of this. Word for word accusations that had recently been leveled against me. And there was a great sense of companionship and hope and peace that came to hear Martin Luther accused of these things and to hear the way that, to consider the way that you would self-doubt, that you would be frustrated, that those words take a toll. They do. And certainly you see that in MLK's life, right? That, yeah. that those words have a real cost. And so a woundedness of spirit is not odd, is not, at, is not in any way incongruous with your experience of life. And, and that, as, as you hoped to do, it did bring me great comfort. And I felt the companionship even in a mystical sense, right, of, of the, the fellowship of the saints that have gone before us, the believers, the, however that works in a spiritual, metaphysical way, I, I felt a sense of oneness mm. with Martin Luther and with these countless other brothers and sisters and an, and a, an encouragement to keep going. And that was what I needed. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I end the book with a a little story from Pilgrim's Progress that Charles Spurgeon spoke about once. And um, there's this moment where they're crossing a river and Christian feels like his sink, he's sinking and his friend yells ahead of him, you know, the water is deep, but the bottom is good. And Spurgeon talks about how Christ offers us that comfort, but other people around us also offer that, us that comfort. 
And I couldn't help but think of that story and the way that he applied it as I kept reading the stories and studying the stories in, in this book. I think all of them do that for us. They say, yes, the, the water is deep. This is not fun. This is hard. And the words of other people wound your soul and depression wounds your soul. And, and all of this is, is, is heavy stuff, but the bottom is good. There is a bottom there that will allow you to keep standing. And they can offer that to us. They've offered that to me. Um, and I think the beautiful thing that is that as we wrestle through our own stories and, and come to some level of acceptance of, of, this is where I am. This is where I've walked. This is how God has carried me through. We can offer that to other people as well. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I hope that people who read this have a sense of companionship. They know they're not alone. They have that, that hope in the, the camaraderie of people who have walked that road before them. But I also hope that they're encouraged to share their own story, you know, because you and I can be companions too. Um, and we need that just as much as we need these stories from history. Yes. Was there a particular one of these seven folks who you identified more with or who you have a particular soft spot for? I have a real, oh man, I have a soft spot for William Cooper, which I think is a little ironic because out of all the stories in this book, I think his is the saddest to me. Mm. He was a, a hymn writer and a poet in 18th century England, really good friends with John Newton who people may know as the man who wrote Amazing Grace. And um, John Newton actually was the one who recruited Cooper to write hymns with him in part to try to help alleviate his depression in, in milder forms. But he struggled chronically with depression throughout his life and it included some more psychotic elements, which eventually convinced him that um, he was outside of God's grace and would never be saved. And mm. And that sort of despair that came with his depression, I think, is why his story is particularly sad, particularly heavy. But, you know, in spite of that, he had such a warmth to him. I was able to get a volume of his letters and I just couldn't put it down. Just the way that his personality jumped from the page, he would write these little um, poems as thank you notes to his friends. And he talked about going for walks in the English countryside and about the antics of his pets. And, you know, in spite of his depression, he's just still had this, this warmth to him in the way that he engaged the world. Um, he loved to garden. Um, and then also as a writer, seeing how writing gave him a way through depression. He once said that um, writing poetry was his best remedy. And obviously there were seasons where his depression was so deep, he couldn't, he couldn't work, he couldn't do anything. Um, but as he could, he wrote. And there was something in that, that I think the, you know, the, the generative groundedness for him of, of writing poetry brought him some comfort and, and gave him something that he could pour himself into that was purposeful and fulfilling. And as a writer, I relate to that. You know, I, ironically enough, I've said to people that I think at various points, writing this book about depression has kept me from deeper seasons of depression, mm -hmm. not only because I've had the companionship of these people and, and have been able to put some of their wisdom into practice, but, but that generative work 
that I could pour myself into that felt purposeful was really helpful for me. Um, again, it's, it's not a cure-all, but I, I really relate to that part of his experience. And um, yeah, he's, he's a gem, that William Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, I, I put myself into the English countryside, partly because of your very descriptive writing. And, and yeah, I, I definitely craved a little English country cottage and some hens. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you that you write here, this is on and Hannah Allen's story, which I th- which I'm so glad you included because she's not famous and it's not like a well known person, but it's just like again, kind of a sad figure. But there is hope in it. I was so glad for that. I was like, oh man, this this is bleak until it's not. Praise yes. God. Yes, isn't praise that, God. Isn't, yeah. isn't that all of our lives, yeah. if we're honest? Uh, so you, I, re, I really uh, love the way you balance a bunch of these things. And, and you wrote here, depression is a spiritual issue in the sense that everything in our lives is a spiritual issue. Our habits, our thoughts, even the minutest of decisions. But we cannot classify depression as a solely spiritual issue with solely spiritual causes and a solely spiritual cure. And I thought that is that is a really great, as a really great non-dual thought, but it's it's also uh, really really holistic. You've written elsewhere in there. I wonder if you'd maybe give us a little bit of your thinking on the since the synthesis of the spiritual, the physical, the mental, the, how depression works as you understand it in a few different ways. I'm so glad you read that quote because I think. It seems like, you know, I heard somebody say that we have a tendency as humans, we're trying to stay on the road in the middle and there's a ditch on either side. And it's so hard to stay in the middle. We really like to land in one ditch or the other. (laughs) And so in the case of depression, the one ditch, of course, that we've talked about is people who make it into a completely spiritual thing. You know, depression, they would say, is a spiritual failing and it will be fixed by some spiritual remedy, whatever whatever their theological bent or their experience would tell you that's going to look like. Um, But there's a ditch on the other side too, I think that says depression has nothing to do with your spiritual life. And it, it's a, it's a very understandable swing, but I think it's also a ditch. Um, And I think the middle road says we can't blame depression on a spiritual failing. We can't say that some sort of, appropriate spiritual discipline regimen or exorcism or whatever is going to cure it. But if all of our life matters to God, if our physical life matters to God, our spirit, our spiritual life, and I don't even like putting that in a category, you know, because I don't feel like there's this, this huge separation of these segments of our life. Like we talk about them. All of this is a, a, a means of worship. All of is it a means of service and all of it is a means of engaging in, in this good world and, and this good life that God has gifted us. And so he cares about depression, just like he cares about our exercise habits or you know, our relationships with people. And all of those are opportunities for him to enter in and be a part of that story and that experience. So when I think about depression, I, I really, I think it's helpful for me to, to think about it in terms of how I would talk about other physical illnesses. So let's take cancer, for example, or diabetes. I mean, you can choose your, your 
physical illness of choice. But we would never say that's a spiritual issue in the sense that, oh, you're sick, so you must have unconfessed sin. But we certainly believe that it can be a place that God can enter into. We certainly believe that, you know, our, our faith or some of these spiritual practices would provide comfort or provide some maybe a little bit of stable footing to help us through. We would certainly believe that the community of the church would surround us and support us through that. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't see a doctor. It doesn't mean that we separate that into all of these segments, right? And so with depression, I, you know, I, I think that, that seeking out the care available to us through therapy, through medication is really valuable. Um, I think it can be a faithful part of discipleship and saying, I want to care for myself because I believe that God has a purpose for me. And I believe he, he wants to work in my life and work through my life. And so I need to be as well as I can be, um, you know, use those tools at my disposal to stay in that place, you know? Um, and for some of us, that might mean that we experience, um, you know, relief from depression. Some of us, it might not. And, and that's not a poor reflection on us. It's just like with cancer, some of us get healing and some of us don't. And we have to wrestle through the implications of that. Um, but, you know, in the midst of that treatment, we also say, you know, as a Christian, I believe that God can be here with me in this. And as a Christian, I believe that somehow there's a way to pray in the midst of this. Um, as a Christian, I believe that there's hope provided to me through the message of the gospel and, and God's intention and, and work to redeem all things. We will take a quick pause so I can thank my patrons. A big shout out to everybody who supports the show monthly or annually on patreon.com. My latest patron is Sanda. Thank you, Sanda. So glad to have you. Friends, if you love the show, then would you consider supporting it? You can do so for $3 a month or $30 a year. There are higher tiers available if you'd like to give more. If you do become a supporter, you'll gain access to the B-Sides. Every week, I record a behind-the-scenes conversation about the latest episode. Uh, those discussions often go in greater depth and provide a chance to hear how the topic has been percolating in my heart as well as uh, the heart of my guest. So there's a wonderful B-Side for this episode with my friend Robert Vore, who hosts the CXMH podcast, Christian Mental Health Podcast. So if you want to become a patron, head to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle or hit the link in the show notes. Back to the show. And so I think that if we can think about depression in that sense, okay, how would I, how would I handle this myself or with someone else if they had a, a chronic health condition or an acute, uh, you know, an acute um, health condition? And how can I draw some parallels here? Um, because it doesn't, it doesn't need to be this hugely different experience you know we we have skills as uh, i hope that we have skills um as a christian community and as individual believers to know how to to navigate some of these crises and depression is no different mm. um and i think we can can find a lot of freedom and also a lot of clarity when we can help our minds learn to think about it in that sense Yes. That's so good. That's a really helpful rubric. Yesterday, I had a lot of back pain, partly because 
I had changed my tires the day before and have been living a very sedentary lifestyle for the last six months, which is partly because of winter in Canada. Anyway, yesterday I had back pain, really severe back pain. And so I asked my children to pray for me that God would heal my back pain. I also had my wife rub essential oils on my back. I also took it easy. I also lay in a bath for a while filled with Epsom salts. And as the day progressed, I felt myself less debilitated. And I felt a sense of gratefulness to everybody around me for the ways that they had all attempted to care for me and myself. And I felt a sense of peace with the Lord that I was being kind to someone that he loves. The kindness part is a, is a newer part of my practice. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a newer piece. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, as I think about depression, I, you know, one thing that comes with depression that doesn't come with some of these other physical illnesses is a lot of the, <clears throat> the emotional um, pieces to it that are just symptoms of what that illness looks like. You know, it... Um, your back pain didn't bring quite the same level of despondency and guilt and self-loathing that depression brings with it just by nature of being depression. For sure. Of course. And so I think for a lot of us, you know, because it, because it, in because all of us, all of our life engages our spiritual life, depression engages our spiritual life, right? There are things that happen to us, at least in my experience and, and the experience of the people in this book, when we're depressed, that, that seem to come just in part because you are depressed. So a sense of God's absence seems to be a big one. Um, the inability to pray or engage with scripture the way that maybe you once did is another one. And I think that that is just some of the, the fruit and the symptom of what depression is like and how it, how it affects our brains and how it affects our emotions and how it affects our ability to perceive the world. And so for some of us, there's this to varying degrees of severity, a little bit of a crisis of faith, right? I'm really hurting and God isn't here for me, or I'm really hurting. And these things that once brought me comfort are not bringing me comfort right now. And that's disorienting. Um, and it can lead to some of that sense of, of crisis. You know, it adds to that. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe God has left me here, you know? And that's something that I think comes with depression that we can prepare for, we can care for each other for, and, and can, can know, okay, this is, this is not true. This is a symptom. You know, this is not true. This is the way I'm perceiving this to be. It doesn't mean God isn't here just because I don't, you know, doing air quotes, feel him in, in the way that I normally do. And I think we as, as Christian community, as brothers and sisters in Christ can position each other to respond to that better or worse. And so if we can talk about depression in that matter of fact way, if we can approach it the way that you have, you know, just shared with your back pain, does it remove that crisis of faith completely? No, but it doesn't heap another burden on top of people. Mm. And so I feel a great sense of um, empathy for folks who are, are not only struggling with depression, but they just have more weights heaped on top of them because of really poorly handled conversations about mental health. 
And, you know, when I think about things like that, I I think about Jesus's words to the Pharisees about, you know, you're taking the law and you're just adding weights to it and heaping it on people's back. Yeah. And, and so I think that's something I I know I've been very convicted by. And um, again, I hope comes as, as a trickle down effect of, of this book is let's stop adding more burdens to each other that don't need to be there. You know, when you're depressed, you have enough to carry. You don't need to carry extra guilt because people have um, either their some version of their theology, you know, has added more guilt to you. That's not necessary. You don't need to bear that burden. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for saying that. Or or then the, related to that is the kind of the spiritual bypassing where where people will. Uh, oh, well, you know, you just you just need to read the Psalms. Or, or offer some kind of quick pat answer, which which I guess we know is actually well-meaning, but is also like this inability, inability, unwillingness to enter into our pain with us. Because pain makes us uncomfortable. It does. And I think out of a response for that, you know, out of a response of that discomfort, we try to either come up with a fix that makes us feel more comfortable that we've provided our remedy or we do a variety of things to keep it at bay. Mm-hmm. Um, because if someone else struggles like that without clear reason and without a clear remedy, oh goodness, that might come for us too. Yes. And, and so I think one of the, the great things that we can do in the church community, again, as an act of discipleship, I will put it in that context, is to learn how to become more comfortable with pain, not in a a masochistic way, but in a, okay, I can sit in this space. I can sit in the tension of this space where I can say God is good and pain exists. And I can just sit here with my mouth shut and just keep company with someone else in the midst of their pain. That I think would be the greatest gift for us to learn how to, to practice and embody. Mm. So much, yes. Wow. So much of my spiritual formation, which I'm very thankful for much of the time, is in charismatic, uh, very kind of bring the kingdom now, Lord, by your spirit kind of ways. And and I'm glad that I have that vibrancy because in terms of faith and in terms of prayer expectancy, I, I have a real expectation that God is here, that God is real, that God shows up. But that doesn't mean I haven't experienced times where God doesn't seem to show up, certainly not in the way I expect. And and culturally, it definitely seems like it's given rise in the larger movements that I'm a part of to what you just said. God is real and pain exists. It's like I can't put those in a sentence. I wasn't given permission to put those in a single sentence, which meant I had to live with a really deep cognitive dissonance that I was not given a solution for. And I mean, that alone, I think, breeds mental problems, mental health problems when you have these underlying dissonances and rejections and weird biases that you, that you know intuitively don't resolve, but you're, but you're not given permission. You know, the only tool set I was given was to rebuke the demons and to, to claim the blood of Jesus over my crappy feelings. UK, so I I underlined this again this morning because it just so spoke to me. 
the emotions, this is in the Mother Teresa section, the emotions and comforts and warm fuzzies of faith are wonderful when they come, but they are not the litmus test of God's existence, of the gospel's hope, or the faith he planted in my soul. I was like, oh, amen. And then, if that wasn't already hopeful enough, you, you said, fruits of love, kindness, humility, and even joy can grow in the dark. We may not see them or rather feel them, but that does not mean they're not there. Depression does not halt our growth in godliness. And that was like a, a deep soul breath for me. It may certainly feel like our spiritual life is halted, but it's not, is it? No. And, you know, I, I, emotions are great things. You know, emotions are a gift from God. They're part of the way that he designed us to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we have to live inherently skeptical of them. But they are emotions. And especially when we're depressed, those feelings that we feel, we, we need to learn. I have heard so many people say depression is a liar. And it is. Um, it doesn't mean that the things that we feel in the midst of that are illegitimate. But it does mean that, that a part, again, of the symptom of it is that we don't perceive reality correctly. And so in that, in that, in our spiritual life, in that relationship with God and our perception of what that is like, depression is a liar, you know? Um, Mother Teresa felt like God had abandoned her and she was alone and she couldn't pray. And she, I mean, like you said, her, her words are shocking. No one knew about this when she was alive. They didn't know about it until I think, I think the book um, that revealed that to the world was published maybe 10 years ago. It was some letters to some of her spiritual advisors. She would say, you know, my, my soul is like an ice block. The place of God in my soul is blank, she said. But as I read her words and I, I, I thought through how she responded to those things, I kept thinking, you know, those were her feelings in the midst of that. And they were legitimate and they were real and that was what she felt. But did God actually leave her? No. That's it. And certainly, did she stop growing in her faithfulness or her godliness over those last several decades of her life? No. I mean, the woman exuded joy and love in such practical and sacrificial ways. God was clearly working in her. She didn't feel it, but it was there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if Mother Teresa can feel that and see that fruit, I can feel that and I can expect to see fruit too. Um, She had this this great quote that says... um, Thank God that we've been told to follow Christ. I don't have to go ahead of him. So the the path is is always sure. Even in the darkness, the path is sure. So when things get particularly overwhelming, I just stand still like a little child and I just wait for the storm to subside. Mm. And so when we're in that place of turmoil, when we're in that place of darkness, the call hasn't changed. God's promise to be with us has not changed. 
And so there's something in that that's, you know, I don't have to get all, I, I, the sense that I get in my own spirit is the sense of franticness. You know, I have to yeah. fix this. I have to get this right. I have to make this feel okay. And I think her story especially just offers me a word of, no, just, just be still, just be quiet. <laughs> God hasn't left you. He's not done with you. He's here. You just, just be still a little bit. I think often of the words in Psalm 139, you know, he talks about, if I go up to the heavens, God is there. And if I make my bed in the depths, God is there. And he says, even the darkness is not dark to you. And I've started reading that Psalm, that part in particular, but as a whole thinking about depression you know, I, I used to read that. That's the one that's, you know, search me, O Lord, and, and know my heart. Um, it talks about searching his anxious thoughts. And I used to think about that in terms of almost a, a guilty sense, you know, like good evangelical righteousness. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing all this stuff wrong. Look inside of me and see all the bad <laughs> stuff. And, you know, and now I think about it and I think about this invitation to say, God, look, look in and, and search me. You, you can see what these thoughts are like. You knew me when you were forming me. Mm. How could I possibly escape you? How could I possibly say this darkness of my depression has become so deep that there's no way you can enter into this with me? Yeah. And so I think the thing that has really encouraged me and and I hope will continue to just seep deeper and deeper into my own being is our God is one who keeps company with us in the light and in the dark, you know, Um, and he is intent on that. He is relentless in that. And so I can just be still. Yes. That's so good. I love that you put that verse on on those little candles because I have it now in my in my bathroom where I took that bath. Yes, wonderful. Uh, Psalm one hundred and thirty nine and Romans eight thirty eight thirty nine are probably the very foundations of my theology. Mm-hmm. Where can I go from your presence? Yeah. For I am convinced that nothing can separate us. And if somebody then says, well, Jesus should be the bedrock of your theology, I will say his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is exactly what those two passages of scripture are saying. But they are. I've had to wrestle a lot of that with that emotional stuff, right? Um, understanding our emotions, because I, I, I was very, very distrustful of my emotions and I despised them. And and in my journey right now with my therapist, we've been going a lot around the sense that Jonathan felt too much, mm. that Jonathan's parents who loved him didn't have the ability or the language to emotionally attune to him. And so those big emotions that I had felt like they were too much for the world. And so they were a liability. And so I shut them down. You know, coming to see my emotions as a source of truth has been life-changing for me, but that they do not contain all the truth. Right. Right. My friend, Mark Shelsky says that emotions are like, uh, they can't lie to you, 
they cannot deceive you, but they don't have the whole picture. Right. They, they're like a check engine light on your car. You have to go and figure out what the light means, right? Like it could just mean that your gas cap's on wrong, or it could mean like that your engine's about to explode. And the, I think the way that you delineated that with depression as a liar is really good, right? Because the emotion says, I feel super abandoned right now. And that's a true emotion. That's a true feeling. Yeah. I feel really abandoned. And if I'm just re rejecting that emotion and I'm not allowing myself to sit with honesty, this is the way I feel right now, then I can't have any measure of cohesion. But as you said, have I been abandoned right now? Is that the cosmic truth of this present moment? Well, the psalmist and Paul would say no. Yeah. That in fact, I cannot be abandoned, despite how deserving of abandonment and how presently abandoned I may feel. Yeah. Praise God for that. Amen. And going back to Mother Teresa, I think, you know, our honesty with the way that those feelings feel, um, she, I think, really embodies a lot of the, the practice of the lament psalms. You know, she said all of these things, but, you know, the context in which she said them most of the time was prayer. And, and so to say, I feel abandoned, but to feel the freedom to say that to God, you know, mm. um, and we see the laments all over the Psalms of, you know, the, the rage, the sorrow, the, you know, my, my bed is wet with all of my weeping. Um, to bring that to God, I think is a very holy thing. And even though it doesn't fix the problem, I think it keeps us in the right position. Yes. It keeps us in the right place. And some days that's enough. Yes, that is so good. That is really helpful. It's like it's enough, isn't it? <laughs> this is so good. I'm so thankful for, for you penning these words. Uh, what, I wonder if you'd have any any quick advice for folks who um, who are journeying with somebody else, a spouse, a loved one, um, and and they don't seem to get it themselves. My my wife is one of those persons who seems to be immune to those kinds of things, or or if not immune, she can simply process rapidly, uh, and so I know she often struggles to know exactly how to help me. Mm. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, you know, I've I've questioned at various times over the years, is it easier to go through depression yourself or is it easier? Or well, is it harder to go through depression yourself or is it harder to walk through it closely with someone that you love? And I don't really, I don't know that I've come to a decision on that one yet. Um, so I guess that's the first thing I'd say, you know, if you feel like it's hard, it is. And, and that's okay. Um, so the, the first thing I would say is, you know, just like when you're walking through depression, you need to know you're not alone. When you're walking with someone who's walking through depression, you need to know you're not alone. Um, that's something that really struck me as I wrote this book is that I could not write these stories without writing the stories as well of the people who walked with them. And so you are in good company if that is where you are today. Um, there are other people who have and are walking that road. Um, the second thing I would say is don't be afraid to get help for yourself. Um, you know, 
just as someone who is depressed can't walk through that and and find a way through that on their own, you can't either. And so, um, you know, helping your loved one have a support network so it's not just you trying to to superman or woman through on your own. Um, and then also surrounding yourself with support. So some trusted friends who you can talk to, maybe a therapist to process that experience yourself. Um, you compromising your own physical mental health or, or even your relationship with, with that loved one or that friend is not going to do you or them any good. And so make sure that you are getting the care that you need as well. And the third thing I'd say is it just be patient, you know, um, depression is a marathon and it is not a sprint. And sometimes recovery just comes more in fits and starts than in this very clear linear progression. And so to, to know that going into it and just have a lot of patience towards this person that's suffering, patience towards yourself and patience for whatever that process might look like. Um, you know, celebrate those victories when they come. You know, if, if they are taking their medication faithfully or they're feeling well enough to engage in some of the things they want to, praise God, celebrate that, feel good about that. Um, but know that there might be days where that doesn't happen. And um, to approach that with that, you know, long-term view and, and long goal in view and, and have that patience for the process, I think will set you up to have some more realistic expectations of, of sometimes what that recovery process looks like. Mm, very, very wise. Thank you. That's great. Dinah, where can people uh, learn more about you and uh, grab the book? So you can read some more of my writing and find out some more about me at my own website, which is dianagroover.com. I'm also on Twitter at Diana Groover and occasionally on Facebook at Diana Groover Writer. And you can find links for the book on my website. It's also on Amazon um, at my publisher, University Press, or anywhere else that books are sold. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. Diana, would you pray for us today? Oh, I'd love to. God, thank you for this space and this conversation. Thank you, Lord, that we can come freely before you and freely before each other to talk about some of these places of hurt and, and that that's not something we need to be afraid of or ashamed of. Um, I thank you, Lord, that, that you have offered us companions for the way that this journey of life is never something that you asked us to walk alone um, and that you send people in the present and people from the past to encourage us and to um, just help us take those next step along the way. I thank you as well, Lord, that, that you are the God who keeps company with us, that we know that um, no matter how deep our darkness may become, that you will keep company with us there. I just thank you for that, God. That is a gift and that is a source of hope um, beyond anything that I know. Um, if there are people listening today, Lord, who are struggling with depression, I ask that you would um, give them the strength to keep clinging to hope and turning to hope that you would bring light to their darkness, that you would bring people around them who can support them and help them to get well, and that you would help them to know um, through some means that they are not alone in the dark. Um, 
we just thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us, your love towards us. And um, we thank you that you are the one who is redeeming all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Diana. Friends, go click the show notes to order a copy of her beautiful, wonderful book, Companions in the Darkness, Seven Saints Who Struggled with Depression and Doubt. Also, now that you've listened to this, make sure that you head over to patreon.com so you can listen to the B-side. My friend Robert Vohr, who you may know already, he hosts the CXMH podcast, Christian Mental Health Podcast with Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Uh, He's a wonderful guy and a counselor and does really great work in this space. And he joined me to do a B-side for this interview with Diana. And we discussed all manner of things to do with depression, suicidal ideation, uh, speaking of people in a way that is honorable, even when we include their flaws. Because that's one of the interesting things that Diana does very well in, in her book here, which we don't discuss on air, but you have to read the book to see it, is that she doesn't gloss over any of the real problems with some of the people that she tells stories of. You know, Martin Luther, classic example. One of the most influential people in the last few, you know, I mean, ever in the church history, for sure. But also a raging anti-Semite, terrible views on women, all kinds of stuff that we wouldn't uh, endorse or support today. And Diana does a really great job of putting all of those beliefs that we don't no longer agree with into the proper context historically, but also not glossing over them and not just sort of being like, yeah, everything about Luther was great. And she does that in a really great way. Robert and I discuss that on the B-side. So if you want to hear that conversation, you'll need to become a patron. You can do so for as little as $3 a month. And you can find the links to do that in the show notes. In the show notes, you will also find the text transcript of this entire episode. If you know somebody who would like to read this, if you have a friend, maybe who doesn't find listening to podcasts something that works for them, you can go to jonathanpuddle.com, hit the episode link to this episode, or go to the show notes, and you'll find a full text transcript for this. Thank you to my patrons who make that possible every month. All right, friends, that's enough for me. So glad that you're here. Thank you for listening and sharing. You'll find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, at Jonathan Puddle. Much love. We'll talk to you soon.